starts off with therefore. What Paul is speaking about as he says therefore is he wants to cast our eyes back to what he has just mentioned. That this Jesus that we are living for is not some small diminished view of Jesus. This is Jesus who is name above all names. This is the Jesus that every living creature will find its place before him as they bow before him and confess that he is Lord. He is king over all things. And if he is Lord over all, therefore, Paul is going to tell us how we ought to live in light of this fact. Paul then goes and he continues by saying his next two words, my beloved, he loves the Philippian church. He cares for these Philippians. And they have on many times helped Paul. They've helped him financially. They've prayed for him. And he goes and he shows that he really cares for them. And often what happens is when somebody says something nice to us, it's because they're about to have something that might be quite difficult to apply. And the same is true in this situation. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, this is how you ought to live. And so he continues. He says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, do you remember what happened when you first became a Christian? The great joy that there was in being obedient to Jesus. Continue walking in that way. It is a reminder that is also mentioned in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In the same way that there was tremendous blessing when we were first obedient to putting our faith and our trust in Jesus. There will be tremendous blessing in our lives as we continue to be obedient and to walk in the way that he has set for us. And if any of you have got children, I know that there are a few parents in the room. When everybody else's children are doing rebellious things and going haywire, and you look at your children, picture-perfect angels. (laughs) But really, when they are doing well, does your heart not overflow towards your children? And you think, thank you for being obedient and doing what I've called you to do. And your heart overflows towards them. The heart of God the Father does the same thing for us. Steve Lawson puts it this way. He says, obedience to the word of God is the clearly marked path upon which sanctification moves forward. Any step of disobedience is a departure from the revealed will of God. And so we take God's word and we apply it to our lives. But I need to be very clear here. He is not saying that you will lose your salvation if you are not obedient in sanctification. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you are placed in Christ. And so you can't be thrown out of heaven any more than Jesus can because you are placed in him. Does that make sense? And so as you do that, you now want to live for his glory and for his name to be made great. And it's very much like this, though, that you can still be disobedient as a Christian. You will just struggle a lot to grow in your walk with Christ. It is like being the the prophet Jonah, where God goes and he calls him. He says, I'm sending you off to Nineveh. And he says, I go, Lord. And he did. But he goes in the exact opposite direction. What God does is he takes Jonah and he brings him back to the starting blocks until he gets what God is calling him to do. Let us not be like Jonah. Let us take God's word and apply it straight away. In a world where people are so good at questioning everything, including God's word, would we be those people who see that there is far more merit in us just taking the time to apply God's word to our life rather than just questioning it and saying, is it really relevant for us? 
Should we really be listening to this thing? If you look back to the book of Leviticus, you see that God goes and he loves his people and he gives them commands and some of them would have seemed really strange to the Israelites, especially around the the laws around the lepers and leprosy. Because what God tells them to do is that they are to take their hand and cover their face and they are to say unclean and then they're going to take the lepers and they need to be on the outside of the city. And the reason why that is is because leprosy is spread through bacteria that would be on the water vapor as they breathe out. But the people didn't know that. But what they do is they choose to be obedient to God. And if they just apply this to their lives, then all of a sudden they will reap tremendous blessing from it. You'll notice also that Paul says that this Philippian church is to be obedient even in his absence. Now again, teenagers, I remember when I was your age and young adults, you guys are mostly young enough to remember what happens when your parents ask you to do something and then they go to the shops. Not much happens, right? And parents, you probably come back and you wonder why everything seems to have happened and another hurricane has just torn through the house. It's because we are so good at living for the people in front of us. We are so good at making changes when the eyes are watching us. But Paul is not after some sort of an obedience that is only around when we are being watched. Which is why Paul is saying that much more in my absence, when I'm not around, live for Jesus. In our context, what that would look like is saying, guys, don't just be these wonderful Christians that love each other and are kind to each other in front of myself or Matt or Mark or Nikki or somebody else here. Because the one that you are living for is not us, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what you are to do is to know that it is not our presence that always goes with you. We will go and do our own things, but it will be the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is always going with you. My second point for today is sanctification in the saints. The second half of verse 12 says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul is speaking about sanctification here. Many people have tried to take this verse and to twist it out of of context to say that it means something along the lines of work for your salvation, do more good things than bad to achieve salvation. But that's not at all what Paul is saying here. We can see that the same thought runs through all of these letters, that we are saved by grace through faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says you are saved by faith, by grace through faith, and you're not saved by your works, but that you are saved for good works. That there are things that the Lord has planned for you specifically, and so as he has placed the salvation within you, now work it out. From the salvation that you have, work and do the good works that God has planned for you, we are to actively pursue the spiritual maturity. And the reason why he's saying this is because, yes, salvation saves us from hell for all of eternity, but that's not the only area of our life that God wants to affect. God working in your life is redemptive in every area. And so he will begin to 
go into other areas of our life. He'll begin to shape our hearts and transform us so that we would run most effectively for Jesus. This is what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, what happens in this verse is that there are certain things in the life of a Christian that are inherently sinful, that are wrong, and the Holy Spirit will highlight those things and challenge us on them so that we tackle those things, and through the power of the Spirit, we put those things to death in us. But there's another category here of weighty things, things that you don't want to be running a race with because they hold you back, things such as our YouTube addictions, our series, our binge-watching of series, our Instagram reels, TikTok. TikTok crowd, you're here tonight. <laughs> what do we do when we consider these things? How does it affect the way that we run when we consider that Jesus Christ is the name above all names and that one day you and I will stand before Jesus and we will take a knee and we'll bow before him? And he will ask us, how have you spent the time that I've given you? Are we running well in light of that moment? Or are we indulging ourselves in what we see around us? Are we able to say with Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are we putting to death these sinful parts of ourselves that used to reign and removing them from our lives. Because Paul wants us as children of the light to no longer live in the darkness and go back to those things. He wants us to live in the light. It is glorifying to Jesus as we remove those things and put on the, the righteousness that he gives us. He gives the same sanctifying call to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24, he says that they are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. What they are to do is to slowly but surely put to death these other parts. Take your grave clothes that you used to live in and leave them in the grave. Take this robe of righteousness that Christ has and put that on and wear that as a child of light. Paul then goes on in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says that they are to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And I know that some people have a bit of an allergic reaction when they hear the fear of the Lord because they don't quite understand how it works. And basically, there are two... Am I still on? Yeah, okay, cool. There are two camps when it comes to the fear of the Lord. One camp would only look at the wrath of God. They're worried about the punishment and the wrath that's going to be poured out onto them. And so they actually draw back away from God. They don't come closer. But the other group that has a right understanding of the fear of the Lord, they, are, they have this fear that is more focused on His awe and respect. We have an awe and respect, a deep love for who God is. And yes, we are sinful. We, we are not perfect. But when we are reminded of our sins, we look to the cross, and when we see Jesus there, we see that the wrath of God was poured out onto his own son. And as we consider all these things, we draw closer to God. 
It's a right fear of the Lord that draws us in towards him. We can see this quite clearly in Exodus chapter 20, verse 19 to 21, where Moses has a right and healthy fear of the Lord, while the people have a wrong and unhealthy fear of the Lord. This is what happens. It says, and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Do you see the difference going on there? That the Israelites draw away from God, they, they distance themselves, and they end up practicing their calf sculpting skills at the bottom of the mountain. They fall into that. They worship a golden cow, while Moses, with a right and healthy fear of the Lord, actually draws closer and closer to God. That is how a right fear of the Lord works. Another way to show this is I'm going to ask uh, Francois and Anna, if you guys wouldn't mind just coming and standing up here. I bet you have been dreading this moment, but we have all been looking forward to it. These two, who are friends of mine, they are absolutely wonderful people. You guys can come stand over here. Have recently got engaged. Woo! Very, very exciting times, right? Are you guys excited? Yes, very excited. I want to read you two quotes. I have this knack for just gathering information. So whatever you say around me might actually come out in a sermon like it is tonight. And so in, in one of the Bible studies, I remember Francois saying this, since being engaged to Anna, it has been nothing but epic. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. You remember that moment. And with Anna, I remember at a certain Bible study, we were going around the circle going, what is your job? What do you do? Would you just explain that to us? And Anna had this to say about her job. She says, well... I think about Francois from nine to five. <laughs> and then, and then I get to see him after work. <laughs> Isn't that precious? Absolutely amazing. And so I want to ask you guys, have you had to make any changes in your life when you think about the, the wedding that is imminent? Any sort of changes? Do weddings just organize themselves? Are you... <laughs> It's a cry for help. Pray for <laughs> He's enjoying it. <laughs> but what do you guys think? When you think of a, a fear of a Lord, another way of describing it in Psalm chapter 2, verse 11 is serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So I want to ask you, Francois and Anna, when you think of that day, when you are going to look down the aisle and you up the aisle and you will see each other and lock eyes, do you think that there is going to be a rejoicing with trembling within you when you see each other? Do you think that what you have gone through has actually drawn you so much closer together as you consider what's to come? Absolutely. Thank you so much. You can go and take a seat. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Church, the reason why I'm using them as an example is because what is the image that is given to us throughout Scripture is of Jesus Christ as our bridegroom and we as the church are the bride of Christ. And you can just picture that as he has poured out his Holy Spirit within us that has sealed us for salvation, God the Father looking at us and saying, man, since you became my child, it has been nothing but epic. And how appropriate would it be for us to have the same response as Anna and to say, you know what? 
I think of and dwell on and consider who Christ is. And I just want to chase him all my days. When we consider that day, when one day we will see Jesus Christ and our eyes will look, we have a rejoicing with trembling. It is a fear of the Lord that actually draws us closer and closer to him. My third and final point for tonight, point number three, is hand in hand. If we're going to take our sanctification seriously, then we're going to need to work hand in hand with God. And you're going to notice that the way that I've spelt this third point is capital H in all the capitals in all the letters and then small lowercase letters. That is God's hand and your hand within it. So this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Am I okay here, Zoe? Where can I move to? Yeah, let's change the mark, I think. There we go. Okay. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What he's speaking about here is he's telling us that we're not going to be doing this alone. It is going to be God working in us. He's going to be working through us. And so, yes, he has told us, work out your salvation. It's not going to be easy. But he says, I'm always going to be with you in this whole situation. As you've been saved, the, the solution is not for us to continue living in our sin. We see that Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And so is that the answer, living in sin? By no means. But rather what we see is that Paul, one chapter later in Romans chapter 7, has, says that we ought to fight it, fight against the sin. He says, I do not do the things that I want to do. I do the very things I hate. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so will it be a fight? Yes, absolutely. It'll be a fight that takes place over your whole life as a believer. But doesn't it give you such comfort to know that Paul, the super apostle who plants churches, is also saying that he struggles with these sinful things in his own life. Just like you and me, we can look to Paul and know that we also will struggle, but we will go and we'll walk in repentance. We will turn to Christ. We will receive strength and encouragement as we need it. And what I have felt really strongly for the 6 p.m. In, in particular is that we need to have a right understanding of how God sees us as we are learning to walk in the Spirit. If you were to picture a father trying to teach his little daughter how to walk, and she hasn't yet taken her first step, and she's still got the big chubby cheeks, and she's very cute, and he goes and he leans down, and he, he holds her hand, and she takes one step. You know, you would see that happen, and then she just falls down onto the ground. What you would not see is the father going, wow, really? You're so good at falling. Maybe we should just change that last name and kick you out of here. No, not at all. Instead, what we would see is after one step, the father would rejoice and say, well done. I love you, my daughter. Let's see if you can take another. Let's see if you can keep on walking. And I am so concerned that some of you don't see God, your father, your heavenly father that way. Because what ends up happening is that you, you do stumble and fall, and then what happens? We end up really disappointed in ourselves. We are so good at beating ourselves up, and we have these ungodly thoughts that God is going to withhold his love from us because we have fallen and we've stumbled, not knowing that God is a merciful, loving father, not withholding his love. 
but rather stepping in and helping you up at every step of the way. God, your Father, is rejoicing with every step that you take as you learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. And so if we are going to do this effectively, if we're going to walk in the Holy Spirit, there are some bear traps that we need to avoid, and then there's a right way for us to do this. The first thing that we should avoid is this idea of God, then me. And this idea says that, well, God does everything. He's, he's given us salvation and His Spirit. He's given us a clean slate and a new start. But then from that point, we're pretty much on our own. It carries the idea of faith alone gets me in, but then it's all my effort to move me along. Now, what this idea doesn't quite carry forward is that there is still the ongoing presence of sin in the life of the believer, and that it will be met with the grace and mercy that God has for you. That God is not some sort of a distant being that saves you, places his spirit in you, and then pushes you away and hopes for the best. Rather, that he is a loving heavenly father intimately involved in your life. The next thing to avoid is this idea of God, not me. We look at our salvation, we say, well, God has saved me. He's done everything when it came to my salvation. And so now my own personal spiritual growth, maybe God's going to just take care of all of that all of the time as well. And so I'm going to sit back. I'm going to become a spiritual couch potato and do absolutely nothing and just expect that my relationship with Jesus gets infinitely better. And that's not the case either. If you were to apply this to any of your human relationships, whether that is your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, if you sit back and do nothing, there's not really much, if any, growth that takes place. And finally, the way that we are to approach this is God in me. God does everything to save us. And then by his Holy Spirit, he unites us to his Son. Jonathan Edwards says that this is what happens when we properly get this. The result is that in our growth in holiness, we are not merely passive in it, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest. But God does all and we do all. We are in different respects, wholly passive and wholly active. See, what this response does is it brings in your human responsibility to drive your growth forward, but it also brings in God's sovereignty. And he will help you where you can't do anything. And that's what we see very clearly in our passage today, is that God commands that we are working out our salvation, but then he also says, I'm going to powerfully work in and through you. It is God in you. We see the same thing if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Same thing is seen in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. It is not going to be us uh, giving away our spiritual growth and just expecting that God takes care of all of that. It's not going to be us taking the reins fully into our hands and thinking that it's going to be all us. It's going to be you and God working perfectly together for spiritual growth to take place. And so as I wrap up tonight, I want to remind you that Christ honors obedience. And the very first place that we are to be obedient is if you don't yet know Jesus, is you must become obedient to what the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart tonight, which is you must put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Believe in him as the one and only true way for you to be saved. But for the rest of us, I really believe that what we struggle with 
is this idea that God is disappointed in us when we stumble and fall in our walk. We take a few steps, and then we beat ourselves up, and we grow distant from God. Would you have a right understanding tonight that God loves you and he rejoices with every step that you are able to take with him, living in the Spirit? I'll ask you to close your eyes. Church, we've got some time tonight, and as you sit uh, with your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to meditate on what you've heard. And there's a wonderful opportunity now for the Spirit to speak to you. What is it that God is wanting you to be obedient to? And I think some of you came in here tonight knowing that there's a step of obedience that um, is undone. And if you just feel the Spirit prodding you um, as we meditate on that thought, then it starts with your will. So you surrender your will. And you say to him in the quietness of your heart, I will. I will do what you've been asking me to do for a long time. And then it might also require prayer. And we're going to worship in a moment now in response. And um, if you want prayer to be um, have someone praying with you that God will give you the strength to be obedient in that way, then it's a perfect moment during worship to come up to the front and there will be people here who pray with you. And then the second thing God might be speaking to you about right now as you sit there is sanctification. Have you been too passive? Have you been leaving it up to God? Again, as you consider that thought and as the Spirit maybe prompts you, um, it's a wonderful opportunity as we worship now to pray to Him and say to Him, Lord, I'm not leaving it up to you. Thank you that you are at work in me, that you help me with this. And so... Church, as you consider those thoughts and as we move into this time of worship now, Dave's got a, a song that, it's a new song. Um, he's going to teach it to you. We did sing it last week, those that hung around at the end, but many here haven't been here for that. And these words fit beautifully with the sermon that's been preached to you. So even if you can't participate in singing it out loud at first, I want you to stay in a prayerful attitude asking the Lord in what way is he wanting you to respond to the sermon tonight. And then if you do sense him saying something, come up to the front and we will pray for you.